Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. I'm as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Are you telling me you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? This is a stupid cancer show. Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Hello there, children. Hey, hey, kids. <laughs> People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late. And now, the host of the Stupid Cancer Show, Annie Goodman and Matthew Zach. Woohoo! Because he has a lot of chips, <laughs> Oh, yeah. Tuesday, April 15th, and welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, The Voice. Um, young Adult Cancer, I'm your co-host, Matthew Zachary, a proud 18-year young adult survivor of brain cancer, my fabulous co-host, Andy Goodman, still on retreats, recovering from breast cancer. We wish her well. Send her love. Godspeed. All right. It's not okay. You heard me. It's not okay. That's 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. So, got cancer under 40? Suck, huh? Time to get visibly, folks, because the stupid cancer show is changing the world. One chemo infusion at a time. I am Maureen Sweet, Manager of Programs and Operations here at Stupid Cancer, welcoming all of our first-time and returning listeners on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, iHeartRadio Talk, or listening to the archives at stupidcancershow.org. For all of our live listeners, I will be tweeting throughout the broadcast at Chemodex, so send me your questions and feedback at any time with the hashtag SCRadio. Tonight's show, episode 304, about young adult cancer caregivers, in special support and promotion of the uh, OMG Cancer Summit next week. Join us tonight as we celebrate that very event by welcoming rock star cancer caregivers Dan Frail and Jana Martin. We'll be discussing the complexities and nuances of what it takes to get busy living as a primary caregiver to a young adult with cancer. And in our fabulous survivor spotlight, Jared Sweat. And with that, our fabulous self-ingratiating applause. Yes, yes. Thank you, thank you. Good evening. Hello. Happy Tuesday. I know. Oh, my God. Seven years, the very first Tuesday. The very first ever, Tuesday. Ever, ever, ever. This is a big deal. It's How, all the Jews' fault. 
That would, and that, by Jews, I mean me. It is. It's entirely your fault. Yeah. You rescheduled it is all your fault. I had to reschedule because last night was the first night of Passover. So Chag Sameach. Chag Sameach. Zis and Pesach to yep. any of our Jewish listeners out there and any non-Jewish listeners who care about Pesach. Yeah. Of which we had a micro Seder here in the office. Thank you, leftovers. Yes, thank you, leftovers. Thank you, Mom and Dad and our leftovers. It's really good. We have a full complement of staff minus one. We do. So welcoming to the air, Allie Ward, our VP of Programs, and our Administrative Assistant, Mallory Rivera. Good evening, everyone. Hello. So we are four and a half fifths, right? Is that how this works? Four, four fifths? <laughs> three and a half. Where's the other half? What? Three and a half Three and a half, fifth. four and a half. Three, no, <laughs> three and a half fifths, right? Or three and a half, four and a half. Three and a half, four and a half. Yeah. Right, okay. Well, the math. Oh, the math. It's very complex. Yes, exactly. You're a stupid cancer. Missing Kenny Kane, but he is out of the office for a very good reason. He is traversing the country on the third annual Stupid Cancer Road Trip. Yes, yes, he is. And uh, we've been posting on Facebook and YouTube and Vimeo and all sorts of cool stuff. He went to uh, Boston, New York, New Jersey, D.C., um, Cleveland, Cleveland, Indianapolis, Chicago, St. Louis, Denver, on his way to Salt Lake tonight. Yes, he may be there right now. I don't even know what time that meetup starts now. Yeah, it's around now, like 8 o'clock. If you're yeah. in Salt Lake City, you better be at the place where the meetup is. Go to supercantsroadtrip.org to find out because I forget the name. <laughs> and uh, off to San Francisco yes. in two nights and then uh, Orange County. Uh, Yeah. Phoenix. Yeah. And eventually Las Vegas. Vegas. Yes. Very exciting stuff. Yeah, again, stupidcancerroadtrip.org. I, I love how we're getting so many people saying, are you coming to our city? People are in love with this idea. Yeah. Like, we should have literally hire somebody to, like, drive around the country. I mean, well, this will yeah. be Kenny on the road. Yeah. Yeah. Don't come back. Just stay out yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure he'd love that. We oh, yeah. should have, like, a contest for this, uh, some city to, like, win a, a trip, you know, win a, win a road trip route spot. We should have a contest for the person to drive the road trip vehicle. Really? Yeah. Like Danica Patrick? Uh, liability. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> How's your car insurance? Exactly. <laughs> liability. <laughs> Ford did it. They uh, let people win and, and get a car. They're a trillion-dollar the enterprise that can do anything they want. I love how you just assign the miracle value. <laughs> Ford definitely has one trillion dollars. Yeah. <laughs> how about if it's a billion? Would that be better? A bunch. One. A multi-trillion. <laughs> <laughs> Well, in any case, that is the road trip. Very exciting stuff, and we really are very happy and thankful to anyone that has come out in support of it. And a special thanks to um, the uh, Stephen G. AYA Cancer Group in Cleveland and the mm-hmm. Angie Fowler Center in Cleveland. That did, and uh, John, John Thurer. John Thurer did a huge thing. Big job, John Thurer. Special shout-out to them. Good, good job, guys. Um, and uh, this week we ended, actually it's a Tuesday, but last Friday ended the 12th annual the uh, National Young Adult Cancer Awareness Week, which is always yes. exciting to have, and we're thrilled to be kicking it off in some fashion by launching our conference every April, which is very cool. And speaking of that said conference, Allie Ward, you are surprisingly not sweating. Yeah, I don't know if it's that we're so on the ball because I have a great team of volunteers and Mallory and Maureen and Kenny and Matt, of course, or right. I'm, not Kenny. Or I'm just in this big river of denial that nothing is going to go, like nothing is done in time. But I, I think we're in really good shape. We have over 400 people registered, which is really exciting. Very exciting. Um, no, more like 420-something. We're at 428 today, wow. actually. That's, yeah. That's well over 400 people. Yes. Um, and we were able to 
award some scholarships to patients today, thankful to Seattle Genetics and the Stephen GYAYA Foundation yes. in it together. Um, so they were really excited to get that email from me saying, I'd love to come to Vegas. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really exciting. And I think it's T minus nine days, eight days. Not many. All Not I know many. is yeah. that this time next week, I will be at the Palm Soil Hotel in Vegas sitting at the pool because it may be my only time at the pool <laughs> the whole weekend. And, I will uh, be at T5 at JFK enjoying a cocktail. Right, and I will be packing to be tomorrow morning you know, enjoying my morning cocktail. Yeah, so uh, it's getting close, and I'm really excited about it. I think it's going to be just off-the-wall exciting. Very I exciting. refuse to wor- use the word epic. But if there was well, another, that's my word. You can't use it. I know. It. If there's another word, then that Legendary. would be my word. Legendary. <laughs> Legendary. So we've been mailing out all sorts of cool things to the attendees. Anyone listening that's coming, hopefully you've received some cool swag from us. Yeah, so everybody should have received a welcome letter and a luggage tag to dress up your suitcase and help us identify you. Um, and you identify other attendees at the airport and such. That's got to be cool be at the airport and like see other people coming to the conference yeah and we have greeters at the hotel and they said it was really nice last year that as people were walking in they could tell who was members of the conference because they had these great orange luggage tags yeah on their um on their bags so that's really cool and there's a pat there's a suggested packing list in that letter so people who are already stressing out um, what to wear what, what to bring wear, what yeah. to bring um i know that i had to go shopping on saturday for clothes to wear in bed. I still need to. I think, <laughs> so. and I just point out, I think that's a very cool thing to do, by the way, to give people that advanced suggestions of what to bring. Because, I mean, how many times have we gone to events that we just show up and, like, we don't have anything we need? Yeah, I have no idea. Like Every time I go to an event, every single event I go to, I show up with stuff I, with not enough stuff. There's always something wrong. Right. Call down for a toothbrush, call down for something. I yeah, because a toothbrush you need to be reminded to bring. I've gotten really good at packing. I'm not brushing my teeth when getting on a plane. (laughs) Maybe it's because I travel like now every week, but uh, I've gotten really good at packing. But I I sometimes will forget one thing or another. Well, in that case, we are reminding them to not forget. Hopefully. We're doing our best. We may have put a toothbrush on the list. I don't know. No one goes unaware of the resources they need to come to Las Vegas. So if you have any questions about what to pack, uh, in addition to that great packing list, you know, email questions at omgsummit.org because those are the things that I love to do in these days preparing to the summit. Is <laughs> Answering to, customer service. Is to talk to people. Should you bring your puppy? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I will play with it all day. Yeah, Always exactly. bring the puppy. <laughs> the palms might not like that. but <laughs> They don't need to know. All righty, guys. It is time for our uh, first guest tonight. Very excited to have him on the show. He was the winner of the OMG 2013 Trivia Pub Night. Very excited to have him on the show. Uh, survivor of Stage 4 Hodgson's lymphoma, Jared Sweat, finishes Master's Degree in Soil and Water Science. I think that's the first for our show. He works in the environmental health of the state of Florida. And again, we'll be returning champion to the OMG Cancer Summit this year for the second time in a row. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, Jared Sweat. Mr. Jared. Good evening. Welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show. Good evening. How are y'all? Y'all are good. Is that how we say it? No. What's the response to y'all? Well, good. Wall. Wall. We all. We we all good. Wall good. Yeah, you can go with wall good. Wall. We'll make that a thing. That's a thing. 
That's so the I thing. Think that is the thing. You are officially the very first master's degree in soil and water science guest we've ever had. So congratulations. I'm feeling appreciated yes. of the intelligence yes. on the call with me. <laughs> Can you tell me about this rock? Yeah, right. <laughs> is it igneous? Is it sedimentary or metamorphic? <laughs> exactly. Fantastic. Well, I guess we're really we're really thrilled to have you coming back this year. And again, once again, congratulations on winning Pub Trivia, which I apparently did hijack in a drunken stupor, and you still won. That is very impressive. Yep. Hey, I had a lot of fun. That's one thing I'm full of is random trivia. So if you have me on your team, it's pretty good to ha- it's pretty I'm a pretty good person to have for t- random trivia I have to admit I've always just had a lot of random trivia stuff in my head that's about the only thing that has stuck yeah. since chemo but <laughs> exactly well I would love you to just take a few minutes and tell us your story you had stage for Hodgkin's lymphoma which not that this is a good stage to have but that's a pretty bad stage to have and, uh, you know, how old were you? Where were you living? What was life like the day before? And, and, you know, this is an important narrative because we are the voice of the young adult cancer movement. Well, it was back in the summer of, well, I guess I should back and go back a little further. Back in the spring of 2011, I had been feeling bad for quite some time and didn't have any reason to attribute it to. I just kind of wrote it off saying that, oh, I'm just stressed out. It was during my master's program. I had three jobs at the time. I was doing this, that, and the other. had a lot of family issues going on. So you go like, nah, it's stress. It's nothing big. I was at the time 23, and it kept uh, coming on and going on. And in April, I had a lot of severe lower back pain that just kept and stayed with me for about a month. And then all of a sudden, it stopped. And then in May and June, I had these knots form on my face, and I'm going like, well, what in the world is going on? And I kind of just wrote it off until they started getting bigger and bigger, and they were hard. I didn't know exactly what they were. And so about that time, my my family's freaking out, going like, you should go to a doctor and get checked out. You know, quit being so daggum stubborn, just go to the doctor and go see what's, what's, what's happening. So July 1st of 2011, I went and saw my regular doctor, and he told me, I don't know exactly what's wrong. I just know I need to send you to a head and neck specialist. So he referred me 10 days later. I went and saw the head and neck specialist, and she saw me, and I talked to her. My parents came with me, went and saw her. She said, I narrowed it down to either lymphoma or a severe type of infection. Those are the two options she had because I worked outside. I worked in soils. She goes, like, it could be one of the two choices. So I did some tests. I got some CT scans, and things came back abnormal. My liver enzymes are high. Everything was kind of off. So they just said, we'll go ahead and do the biopsy. So that Thursday, they scheduled the biopsy, and I had it by Friday. I, I actually had the biopsy by Friday in the hospital. And then I was kind of told right then and there, because with Hodgkin's, it has those RS cells that are easily to see, um, so I kind of got told preemptively that it was lymphoma right then and there. And luckily, I was during this whole entire time, my parents were with me. My mother and my father were both with me. And uh, so they kind of stayed with me as I went through treatments. So I went through uh, six cycles of uh, ADVD, adriamycin, bleomycin, and blastine, and uh, DTIC. Uh, did that for six months. And luckily, everything shrunk away. I found out that it was stage four and that... It was in my entire lymph system from head to toe, and it was in my bone marrow. So that was the reason for the lower back pain. It was actually my uh, my hip that was hurting, not my back. Um, 
So after six cycles of that uh, treatment and then kept getting PET scans and then they were regularly checked up and officially had been in remission for two years, um, January 31st of this year. So two years officially in remission. So it was, a, it was a whirlwind. You get a little round of applause for that, all right? Hang on a second. Ready? How's that? Well, you get the Yeah. Applause. That's a good one. <laughs> so so it, through the course of all of this, do you feel like you were treated age appropriately? Were you surrounded by geriatrics or little children and the issues of fertility and, and your life insurance or your health insurance or your career? What were those like for you specifically? Well, my my career and all went on hold. I was still in school. I still had about a year, year and a half left in my master's program. And with me being on chemo, I just found out instantly that it made me so nauseated. I just I couldn't function that well. I just I it took it, I had to get treatments every other week. Um, so by the time one week the the next time the next treatment came around, I was feeling just a little bit better, and then had to get treatment again. So I I just I took off from school. Um, Luckily, my health insurance, I was in a good situation with my health insurance. I, um, I had worked for a, uh, one of the three jobs I had worked for, I had worked for a consulting firm. And um, when I uh, kind of stopped working for him, he told me I could either keep the policy going myself or just let it go. And luckily, that was the, he told me, he goes, like, it should be good for you to just go ahead and keep the policy going. So luckily, I was smart enough and actually kept it going. I actually, you know, paid for my own health insurance and kept Gets on with it, and it really, <laughs> really came in handy. Um, uh, let's see. Um, what about your fertility? What, uh, what was that? Your fertility rights? Oh, fertility. I was actually surprised. My doctor, my oncologist, as soon as I met him, he told me that I should bank as soon as I started seeing him because, like, there is a chance. You know, just go ahead and get it done and taken care of. Um, and I, I was fortunate enough that uh, a family friend uh, paid for me to have it done. She goes, like, I want to make sure you have children so I can spoil them rotten. So I was very <laughs> thankful for all the for all the help that I got uh, during that time. Um, so yeah, I, I, I did bank, and then uh, my experience was I was in a uh, program that was affiliated with a uh, a major hospital, but it wasn't it was a uh, private business though that it was affiliated with a major hospital it was private but mostly the age groups that I saw was typically very very old that's the uh, most most of the people I saw were you know 50 60 70 80 plus so I hardly well, ever saw anyone that was young no, no and and again that is a fairly typical component of every young adult cancer uh, survivor's story were you at a, a general hospital, a, a community cancer center, a major clinic? Where were you treated through all of this? Um, through all this, it was Florida Cancer Specialists and Research uh, Center. Um, that, that's the name of the, the, the oncology place that I went through. Like I said, they're affiliated with um, the, um, one of the major hospitals that's in the Gainesville area, but um, I think they are a private ba- uh, practice. So I, I, I like the fact that you're given fertility rights. I mean, even with guys, which we would say, quote, is slightly easier than with women, uh, which is true, um, it's still fairly uncommon that you're given those rights. So kudos to those folks for making that happen for you. Um, are you yeah, in a position uh, now to get tested, or you, do you even know if the treatments made you infertile? Uh, 
I actually have no idea. I have not gotten tested since treatment, but I do still have my option. I still I still pay for the uh, the banking, so I still have that option available just in case. So I still pay for it, but I haven't gotten myself tested. As soon as I got done with treatment, uh, which was December, December 28th of 2011, I immediately went back to school in January and was teaching four classes and was attending full-time in school, which I look back now and go, like, how in the world did I do that? <laughs> I, I still have no clue how I did that, but I went straight back. I was, I, I'm the type of person that likes to keep busy, so I was completely bored out of my mind because I couldn't really do anything <laughs> on treatment. So I guess I just wanted to jump back in it, but I look back now and go, like, that may have been a bit much. <laughs> but did that give you fatigue, or did it inspire you? I mean, you were you like you said. It, it, again, that seems fairly atypical to run into it, but it was what you loved to do. Yeah, I, I just, I, I still, I, I still suffer a little bit from fatigue, but I mean, I just, it was just not being able to. Like I said, I had three jobs, I had schooling, so I just go like I'm usually a pretty busy guy, so having all that time off, not doing anything, I really couldn't do anything. It just it drove me insane. So let me ask you this question. How and when did you discover other young adults with cancer, and what did that mean to you? Uh, it was after treatment. It was after everything was said and done. You know, the doctor said, you know, you're you're done with treatment, you know, we're going to be monitoring you for so much, for so long, this and the other. And I think it was by chance through Facebook, through a website, uh, through, the, uh, through Google. I, I don't even remember right now exactly how it happened, but I happened to find about this, this survivor's group. Um, and I, oh, I forgot. I had actually attended a survivor's group once before, but it was more for let's say, older people, so I was definitely the youngest by far there, but, and I felt so out of touch. I, I went a few times just because I wanted some, you know, someone to kind of, you know, relate to my experiences, but I guess I just started looking on the Internet and just started frequently looking to see young adult survivor groups, and I think I just came in contact with Jason and Erica Lott on Facebook, and they're who I contacted, and then they said, hey, let's just meet up. We have these meetups, and you should come out. And I did, and that's how I got introduced to Super Cancer. And you've been hooked ever since. <laughs> I have been hooked ever since. I'll, I'll definitely admit that. So tell us uh, what it was like for you to attend the uh, OMG Cancer Summit last year. For the first, had you ever been in a room with that many people in general before, let alone survivors? No, never that. Not that many survivors. I, I've attended conferences before for for school and all, but. I had never been in that many rooms with so many survivors, especially young adult survivors. It was just, it was awe-inspiring to know that there are people that can relate exactly to what I went through, and I could talk to them, and everyone was so forthcoming. Everyone would, you know, say hi. You know, everyone was very uh, welcoming to the experience, even if they were first-timers themselves. You know, like, you know, I, I met a really good friend of mine. We happened to be walking around looking at the... Uh, the stuff, and we just started chatting, and uh, she's a breast cancer survivor, so it's just kind of like, it's just funny, you know, we just kind of instantly connected because we could relate to one another. And uh, what would you say was your, your favorite part, and why are you coming back? For, outside of obvious reasons, what, what is uh, important to you about coming back? 
the importance for coming back for me definitely is just reconnecting with everybody. Is just being able to, to talk with everybody. That's that is the main reason why I'm going. Is just so I can talk with more people to see how their experiences have changed since last year, how people are doing that I haven't kept in contact with, just to be able to rekindle new friendships with new people, new survivors, kind of help guide them through, um, you know, kind of talk with them to see how they went through their experiences and just find out how, just to find out how they, how they've gone through their journeys. That's, that's the main reason why I'm coming back. I know that. So has, um, has going through this experience, change your sort of pedagogical route? Are there applications to what you're doing now that may be useful in healthcare versus were they not or are they now? Or Like talk about your work a little bit. I'm fascinated. Mineralogy and all this stuff is fascinating to all of us because we're clearly not PhD master's degree people. <laughs> clearly not. No, but uh, I, I would love you to talk about this just a little bit because it's fascinating stuff. Well, I am. I was in the program. I was interested in studying uh, soil pathology, or soil formation, soil genesis. Um, but I actually ended up getting my degree in uh, dealing with soil science education. I, I had told you I was teaching multiple classes when I come back. I love teaching undergraduates. I just love being a teacher. I was teaching in, in soils, and I was also teaching in the biology department just by, by chance. And. Uh, I, I really enjoyed the education aspect. So I kind of used my soul science background to kind of incorporate it with education and kind of molded the two, and that's what I ended up doing my master's in was that kind of mix. And I think definitely the, the experience has changed me to um, definitely try to uh, view things more broadly than I did before. May not be so narrow-minded and focused on certain things. I try to approach things very more openly. Well, that's amazing. And uh, your caregiver network, did you have friends and family that were around for you in Florida? I had, uh, my parents were instrumental. They they were with me from day one, from when, you know, something was said that, you know, something's off. They were with me every step of the way, and both my parents at the time are disabled, so they were with me, and they had, I had three younger siblings that are below the ages of 12, uh, 12 and under, so they're raising, uh, they have younger kids to raise, so they were right there with me every step of the way. I had grandparents, uh, and I had uh, grandparents that were there for me. Um, I actually had family members that were fighting to drive me because I never drove to chemo. I had family members, you know, fight to say, oh, I'm driving him this week. No, I'm driving him this week. And go like, okay, I didn't realize it was going to be this popular. Um, but I also had a lot of friends that drove me, too, that were there. They just came and sat with me, just talked with me, just kind of, you know, not, not leaving me by the house by myself, you know, just sitting there going, like, I feel like crap. You know, they were there to kind of pick me up, you know, just kind of could stop by and say hi. Well, I'm, I'm writing an article for a magazine about caregivers in young adults, caregivers of young adults or young adult caregivers themselves. And what would you offer? What would you like to say on behalf of your family who cared for you? Um, that did they did they get what they needed? Were they underserved? Like, how could we help caregivers more when they're caring for a young adult? Well, it's kind of interesting that you're talking about that because uh, actually, just recently, my father was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma on the the 14th, February 14th of this year. So. I, he was kind of my caregiver. My dad was pretty instrumental in caregiving for me, and now I'm kind of trying to be his caregiver, guiding him through the experience because I already 
because I went through the experience before. So it's kind of interesting how the tables have turned uh, on that regard. Um, I definitely think that we don't appreciate enough. You know, sometimes we're, we fail into bad and we just forget that these people are here for us and we kind of sometimes maybe take a little bit of advantage of them and that we should definitely give them more uh Give them more props, give them more kudos, give them more of your time to say thank you and just appreciate and just do something for them that uh, you know they like to do, um, uh, definitely. Well, I, I really appreciate that. It's really one of the more underserved communities in all cancer, but young adult cancer specifically. But I, I, So final question, we're, gonna, we're running out of time, but final question, what is your message to other young adults facing cancer? Uh, my first message to young adults in general is say don't ignore don't ignore things. If your body is telling you something's off, you should go listen and go to a doctor <laughs> and just get it checked out. Even if it's something minor, that you know is very you know very uh, very minor in comparison to cancer, but still is, is something to get checked out. I would definitely get it checked out. And just for other survivors, uh, know you're not alone. We're, we're definitely out there. We're definitely here to talk to you uh, if you need someone to talk to. Jared, thank you so much for joining us. Jared Sweat is a uh, survivor of stage 4 Hodgkin's lymphoma. He won the pub trivia at the OMG 2013 Summit. He will be returning next week to OMG 2014. We look forward to seeing you again. Thank you so much. Safe travels. All right. I can't wait to see you all when I get there. All right, Jared. Take care. Thank you. You too. All right, Maureen, now it's time for the news. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. All right, everyone, head on over to events.stupidcancer.org, your one-stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events nationwide. Something could be happening in your neck of the woods, and we certainly don't want you missing out. The Stupid Cancer Road Trip is still, as you know, going on, so it's got meetups coming up in Salt Lake City right now. San Francisco, California, Orange, California, and Phoenix, Arizona. All right, again, the OMG Summit is a week away, but that does not mean it's not too late to register. We welcome anyone and everyone to come to Las Vegas, April 24, 5, 6, 7, three and a half days, with hundreds, over 425 of your fellow young cancer survivors, caregivers, activists, um, advocates, and amazing people. Visit omg2014.org right now. And it is always a good time to stock up on your stupid cancer gear. We've got all new products and styles to choose from. Spring has finally sprung. So get your skateboards, get your lightweight hoodies, get all of your summer gear at stupidcancerstore.org and be proud, wear stupid cancer. Stupid Cancer is launching a mobile app called Instapeer this spring. It's going to revolutionize cancer support forever. The first platform of its kind to do automatic peer matching for cancer patients and caregivers is very exciting. Go to facebook.com slash instapeer, follow at instapeer on Twitter, watch our videos, and learn more at instapeer.org. And a big thanks to the sponsors of this episode of the Stupid Cancer Show, Millennium, the Decada Oncology Company, Seattle Genetics, Lily, Spencers, and Amgen. And that is your Stupid Cancer News. We don't need Kenny. Who's Kenny? Who's that guy? What redhead? That guy. Where's Kenny? I don't know. Kenny's in Utah. Where's Utah? Today. Utah is something <laughs> west of Jersey, I think. There's an Olympics there once. Yeah. All right, we got a good uh, roundtable coming up tonight. Next day, half hour, we'll be spending with Jane Martin and Dan Crail about caregiving young adults. 
Dan Crell is a native from Wyoming, Allie's favorite state. Dan Crell is husband to Liz Bodie Harms, father of two and caregiver. Dan works for a healthcare supply chain company. His wife introduced him to stupid cancer, much to maybe his chagrin, because now he can't escape us. And after she was diagnosed with colon cancer three years ago, and momcologist, young adult advocate, board member of parents of AOA stupid cancer, and board member of Hope for Young Adults with Cancer in St. Louis, Jana Martin, philanthropist, has been searching for answers for her daughter's health issues for over a decade. She was dismissed, written off as crazy, told her daughter needs psychiatric care, and often given trash can diagnoses, but she has tenacity, and she's spunky, and her instincts paid off when a doctor finally ordered a brain scan to reveal a golf ball-sized tumor in her daughter Ashley's right frontal lobe at the age of 21. Please welcome to the show two phenomenal cancer patient advocates and caregivers, Dan Crail and Jana Martin. Hello. Hello. Caregivers is the theme tonight. It is an underserved group in any disease, but in cancer is where we focus. And the unsung heroes. And the unsung heroes. And I thought you, you probably heard me before. I'm writing an article for PM360, which is Pharma Marketing Magazine, about it's the caregiver stupid and how we don't pay enough attention to them as valuable influencers of our health and our wellness, and we don't pay it back enough to them through the industry. So you two are no... Uh, you two are, are, are no uh, small example of how that is impactful, um, but I'd love to start off with, uh, with Dan because uh, Liz has been a rock star with our community for a while. We just profiled her at the, um, at the Denver meetup, and uh, yeah, I think you're returning champion to the conference, right? Yeah. Yeah, this will be our, uh, both of our third, third year um, of the conference. So tell us about the story and what it was like, and you were, uh, you know, as a parent, as a, as a spouse, really devastating. Uh, yeah, we we uh, had a three-year-old son, and my wife had, had just given birth to our second son, and went in for a checkup. Um, she was anemic, so they said you need to go get a transfusion right away, and. So she came home and packed a bag instead of doing what they asked, and and so we took her to the hospital. We got the transfusion, and they said we're not letting you leave until uh, we know what's going on. And several days and several test scans, scopes later, they found a spot on her colon that just looked ugly, and they they wouldn't say cancer, but I know Liz is was really leaning toward thinking that's what it was. Um, so they scheduled a uh, surgery to remove that that part of her colon. We uh, waited for the surgeon for for a couple hours uh, while he was doing some emergency surgery, and he finally came in and he he rushed in and said, "Okay, yeah, it's a cancer, so we're going to go ahead and cut it out." And uh, you have any questions? And and all I could think of is what and. <laughs> We uh, were kind of on a roller coaster of surgery, chemo, radiation, uh, more appointments than we we can remember. Um, um, just try, basically trying to keep up the entire time. Not really ever, never really felt like we were getting our our minds around the whole scope of what was going on for some time. Um, you know, the, you hear the stories of being the only. The only person, you know, the only person in the chemo chemo room of that's under under seventy or sixty, and 
we definitely saw that several times, and I I definitely felt like the uh, odd person out being the only, usually being the only spouse there, and definitely being the youngest spouse by a long a long ways. Um, it was, uh, but it definitely shook our family up. Um, we weren't expecting it. There was no family history, no no uh, pre-existing signs that we should be looking for anything, and it uh, definitely caught us caught us off guard, and we. Definitely took a couple. Uh, definitely took a while before we were we were back, kind of back on our feet. And it was definitely before that that Liz found stupid cancer, and uh, you know probably it was probably right around the time that we went to the first OMG in Vegas and started to connect with other people who were going through something that's even similar, and and that definitely helped. And was one one of the better things that came out of that first. Uh, our first OMG experience was the connections that we made uh, with both with both patients and caregivers. Um, there weren't that many caregivers of that first uh, OMG that I remember talking to, but uh, uh, those that we did, we definitely definitely connected with right away. Well, again, like this is sadly not uh, atypical of the young adult cancer experience and the young adult cancer care experience. I want to flip over Jaina because this this is a story that must be discussed. The idea of the caregiver being the advocate's advocate and never accepting an answer you're not comfortable with and, and constantly representing your own interests to get the answers you need. Jaina, you are remarkable in your relentlessness to advocate on well, Ashley's behalf. I'd love you well, to talk I appreciate you saying that. I, I don't feel that that's... Um, that I'm any sort of a superhero or heroine in this story. I feel like I'm the typical mom, to be honest with you. And uh, that's why I adopted um, a friend of mine that I met at OMG, um, introduced me to the word momcologist, and I thought that's so appropriate um, for mothers of young adult cancer patients and cancer survivors and um, even childhood cancer. And, um, you know, I think as a mother, instinctively we know um, if something is off with our children. And um, I just want to also give kudos to Dan um, for for just being tenacious as a spouse, to stand by his family and to to just do whatever it takes and to end up in the at the OMG Summit um, and to be committed to that year after year because it's so vitally important. And to anyone who's listening now um, who is maybe coming to OMG and you wonder, would my parent benefit from that, um, they absolutely would benefit huge from, from attending the, the summit. Um, it, we attended the first time as a family Um, My husband, myself, our daughter, Ashley, who has, um, I'd like to say, is six months, officially six months in remission from her brain cancer. And our son, yay, and our son, Ryan, who is her full-time caregiver in Phoenix now that I am back in um, Colorado. But um, I want to say that that, we went as a family. We said this is, cancer is a family disease and we said, we're going to battle this as a family. And when we went to OMG, I didn't expect 
to be forever changed, that I'm forever changed by that experience in such a positive way. And I, I forever will be grateful for um, what you've done, Matthew Zachary, in the realm of young adult cancer and to Dr. Sender, who heads your board, um, and your, both of your visions um, to carry this forward and create Instapeer and things like that. I think it's just uh, it's such a vital need. And I do appreciate so much that you're calling attention to the caregiver. And I think as a caregiver and advocate for caregivers, I just want to say that um, we deserve to be heard and we deserve to be empowered. Um, and as a caregiver, I think many physicians look at us and they think, oh, yeah, that's just the worry wart. That's just the, the person on the side. And really, they need to address us with um, a much greater respect, I think, than what I certainly have experienced. I don't know about Dan. Um, and I know it's across the board. You have good and bad. And I have many physicians who have treated me with the utmost respect. Um, but I've also been on the other side of that. So, so Dan, let me, let me have you respond to that by adding the following, which is that, you know, we can't... I'm a personal fan of the, the un- uncomfortable issue of you can't change physician behavior, that people are just born with their personalities and you have to get what the cards give you and should your doctor be your therapist or should your doctor cure you? It's a great conversation to have. We get people on all, all different sides of that opinion. But what pragmatically can the medical profession do to make you feel more valued in that relationship? Or do you, does it even really matter because you're going to do it anyway because it's your loved one at stake? Um, I would definitely re- reflect what, what Gina was saying. And also I'd like to thank her for uh, the praise that she just gave me. It means a lot coming from her. Um, you know, first to sense, uh, they call they call their caregivers rocks, and and talking with other other caregivers, all of us are a little uncomfortable with the term because we don't we don't feel as solid as a rock most of the time, and usually it's far from that case. Uh, we definitely don't feel like uh, superheroes or, or anything along those lines either. You know, it's it's just you know going into going into uh, all the appointments. Uh, Surgeries, etc. Uh, there was never any question of, of whether it was the right thing to do or, or, or if it was something that needed to be done. It was just, it, it was just my role as the spouse. I didn't, I, I didn't even think about it. It was, it was just what needed to be done, and, and I certainly wouldn't want to ask anybody else to, to do it. Um, as far as the as far as the, the the doctors that we had, I feel like we were pretty lucky. The bedside manner of the surgeon was left a little little to be desired. Um, Not they all. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I never really felt like uh, I needed, you know, I'd, that I was undervalued uh, from from their point of view. I, I I definitely felt like I would like more information from them, and. Um, uh, this one, this one reason I, I really liked uh, uh, my wife's oncologist, uh, Dr. Bergen, was was great in including me in the conversations and, and making sure that any questions I had were already answered before before 
before he was he was done with with his uh, with with whatever he was telling us, um, and he always he definitely included me in in whatever discussion it was, whether it was menial or or uh, uh, you know some of this kind of scarier, you know this is what could happen if you know if if this comes up. Um, Jenny, your thoughts on that? Um. I don't know. I I um I was kind of taken back a little bit by Matthew what you how you um asked the question, how you presented that to Dan. Um being that you know, we're just 6 months into remission with um our daughter's nightmare of a story um which really was a you know, in order for me to tell the story, you'll have to buy the novel. <laughs> because um, it started when she was quite young, probably around the age of two, and that I instinctively could tell something was was just not quite right. Um, the anxieties were just a little bit too high, the separation anxiety for a toddler um, that never really went away. And um, so maybe I'm a little bit embittered because of the length of my experience. But I will say that, you know, at one point we, because once you're thrust into this world of cancer, um, you, it, Dr. Sender said something to me recently. He said, um, you know, many, many, many young adult patients will get post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, the statistics are, I think, somewhere near 90%. And, uh, so he said, because it is like it is likened to war, and I I thought about that, and he he began to explain why. I said, well, I don't really understand that, and he said, well, because once you hear that word cancer, all of a sudden you're in the war zone, and these terms are flying at you, and they're talking about surgeries, they're talking about oncology, they're talking about radiology, they're talking about all of these things that are so foreign to us, and it's like shrapnel literally coming at this young adult. And once they get through their treatment, many times they, all of a sudden, they begin to process all of that, right? So um, when we were in the battle um, of Ashley's, 18 months of four neurosurgeries, three of which were brain surgeries. Um, we found ourselves after the first surgery being in an oncologist um, office, and the oncologist actually was taking chemo, and three months in, the oncologist walked in and said, hey, you know, I was just talking to uh, the neuro-oncologist over at the cancer center, and she thinks that we probably shouldn't have given you the chemo. So I'm just thinking, Ashley, it's really up to you if you want to continue. And I almost came out of my chair at this woman. I was so infuriated. And I said, excuse me? And she put her hand up to me and said, um, your daughter is an adult, and I'm speaking with her as my patient. And my daughter pinched my leg until I almost bled. <laughs> and uh, 
sort of like, don't do it, Mom. Don't, you know, you don't need to go to prison over this. Mm-hmm. And so, um, because I really, that's the way I felt at the time. And, uh, you know, push comes to shove and, and the conversation ensues. And I finally said, you know, I'm going to ask some questions now. And I asked Ashley, would that be all right with you? And she relented, and uh, I found out that this woman was, that we had been sent in-house to a lo- in the local hospital um, to the in-house oncology, and we were being treated by a breast cancer oncologist. And I didn't even know there was such a thing as neuro-oncology. So, right. you know, I'm just giving you a, a tiny slice of the picture And something even more recent happened when my daughter needed an emergency MRI and she's having a severe migraine and I call in and the doctor's office says, gosh, we don't see your HIPAA file or Ashley's HIPAA file on on the, you know, we don't have it signed. It's not in the file. And I said, well, I've signed, I've witnessed her sign it twice for you so it's not my fault if your staff is incompetent. So I just am tenacious in that way that I'm going to be bold and I'm going to say, you know, what's right is what's right. And I think it's really important that, um, especially in the young adult cancer world, um, you know, sometimes if if the patient, one of the things I think is interesting is the, the young adult um, age range, when we talk about AYA, is, what is that, Matthew, 15 to 39? Correct. Okay. So, and in talking with Dr. Sender, I've realized that the need um, becomes even more specific than AYA. We need, we need to unit these age brackets because what how Ashley is dealing with things is she's got um, sort of that mother tiger <laughs> at her mm-hmm. side going, I'm going to do everything and anything for my child. And then you have the people like Liz and Dan who they are parents themselves. So um, they might be looked at and treated in a different way by a physician than say Mother Tiger over on on the left side of the route. The I think that's a really scale. good point because as a caregiver, well, the age range for a young adult survivor, fifteen to thirty nine, is so huge, and I think it's great that we acknowledge that there are young adults and there are special needs for young adults, but the needs of a survivor that's twenty one may be greatly different than the needs of a survivor that's thirty five. Like when I was diagnosed, right. But with, as Jana was saying, caregivers is the same way, and, and you're in completely different situations in your life depending on where you are. I was just thinking about, Dan, your story. You had a seven-week-old baby at home and a three-year-old, and you're trying to take care of your wife and be with her at all her appointments, but at the same time, you had to take care of your children or trust other people to take care of your children, and what a challenge that might have been for you. Were there any resources that the social workers or the nurses or anybody told you of things to help you as a caregiver? Um, 
not really. Um, there, in the oncologist's office, there was a, a patient navigator, but when it came to somebody who wasn't, um, you know, in their mid seventies and uh, and dealing with that that end of or that that end of the spectrum, uh, I really felt she was she was a little overwhelmed and and didn't really provide us with a whole lot of uh, guidance. Uh, we were really lucky that uh, my in-laws lived close enough that they were able to come down and help with the with the kids. My parents came down from Wyoming and helped with the kids uh, when they could. Um, so that that kind of thing helped. But as far as from the staff, we really didn't get a lot of help on from that end, and that was frustrating. Although at the time, I was you know we were so overwhelmed that it didn't even occur to me that that, that would be something we could get from them, uh, even if we asked. So, you know, looking back, I, I really wish that somebody had said something, you know, you know, if, if there were, were uh, opportunities for that, but uh, it certainly wasn't something that came up, uh, and certainly not often. Yeah, I don't know that I've talked to any survivor and caregiver couples um, or friends or, or whatever that have gotten that resources from their, from their hospitals. Um, and that's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about having sessions at OMG specifically for caregivers to talk about what are the resources out there for yourself? What are some healthy caregiving? What are things to self-care? Because that's really important. You're, you know, Jana mentioned that she became the mom tiger, you know, being by her daughter's bedside or, you know, chair side or whatever it was at all times. Um, you give up so much of your life and you forget to take care of yourself. So, Dan, can you give me, like, two ideas or two hints that you would tell people that they were just walking into the situation and they were a caregiver for their spouse or boyfriend, girlfriend, or whatever? What With a baby. With a baby. <laughs> what advice you might give that caregiver? Uh, definitely take time for yourself and, and from the beginning. You know, find that it doesn't have to be a lot of time, but you have to find that 10, 20, 30 minutes whether it's, you know, part of your commute where you just stop at a park and just, you know, find a little time to, to sit down under a tree and, and try, to, try to gather yourself because as soon as you walk in the door, you know, there's not going to be a lot of time. Um, but you have to find it right from the beginning and also to ask for help early. Um, mm. You know, and people, you know, the people around you want to help and they have n- no idea what you need. And so just call, you know, grab somebody and say, hey, just a meal, uh, pick a night, bring it over, don't care what, just that, that the little bit of time where you're preparing the meal and then doing dishes, you know, having a break from that one night a week or two nights a week can make a world of difference where you just have a few minutes where you can just sit and talk about anything other than cancer with your spouse or your kids and just play with the kids for a few minutes, you know. Doing that, for, especially right from the beginning, uh, I, I think can make a, a world of difference. That's invaluable. And again, we want to remind our listeners that the two of you are on a session. Allie, you want to talk about that? Yes, we have two sessions um, this year. Uh, well, there's several caregiver sessions, but on Saturday afternoon there is a session from 3 to 5, um, and we've divided up the caring for the caregiver, or the just for caregiver session into caregiving for peers and caregiving for parents of young adults. Uh, So it's two hours where uh, the attendees really get to go in and talk about anything that you need to talk about as a caregiver. 
and Dan is on the panel with two uh, wonderful women for the peer session, and Jaina is on the panel with Matt's dad for the parent session. Uncle so Lou. we're really <laughs> excited about this. I think it's going to be a great time. So, so Jaina, going back to Allie's comment about how the same way cancer is different depending on your age in our little bookend, and it is different in the age of caregivers, you know, in, in Yiddish and Jewish, we joke about, you know, the, the overbearing mom and whatever, but in this case, it's important. So how has your relationship with Ashley grown and changed in your role as sort of like this self-christened mom tiger? <laughs> wow. Um, I wish that was an easy answer. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, Other it's relationships are never yeah. easy. It, it waxes and wanes, and one of the things I want to say to any of the moms out there, um, if you are, if you're thrust into that role of caregiver for your young adult, um, God bless you because um, it's it's such a difficult spot to be in when your young adult is. I mean, my daughter was off at college making her life and really like flying on her own for the very first time and uh, just really living life big when all of a sudden her health had always been compromised, but now it was spiraling out of control. And um, having to move back from the environment of I'm a sophomore at college and I work on the university campus and I I'm in charge of this and this, and I have a sorority, and I've got a, this meeting, and, she, you know, she's an adult. And then all of a sudden, she's my child, and she's back at home. And it's a very, um, very difficult position to be in, both as the cancer patient and as the caregiver, um, because I want to dote on her as a mother and... She wants to be respected as an adult, and so it's it's a fine line that you you walk and a, and you have to find that balance in it. So what I would say is, um, learning this the hard way is to try to um, try to allow that your your young adult cancer victim to have their voice up front. Number one. Their voice needs to be heard. They need to be able to say, Mom, you know, I'm going to pinch your leg off if you try to attack the oncologist. (laughs) You know, they need to be able to express how they feel, and Mother Tiger sometimes needs to take a back seat. And that's something that I've had to really learn the hard way. And unfortunately, there is no insta-peer yet. And so even when I tried to find peers for myself, um, someone who could understand what I was going through, I still not really, I found that at OMG. I tried to find that through some other resources and it just did not come to pass. But that's what I, that's what I found at OMG. And it wasn't even in the realm of necessarily a caregiver I did meet other caregivers and have identified with them and them with myself. But also, even with patients, um, I find um, 
a relationship with many, many young adult cancer patients. In fact, I've sort of, um, I told Allie Ward that I have sort of um, adopted this, the group of 20-something AYAers who um, are, have brain cancer because that is where my heart lies. That's, that's what my daughter is fighting, and uh, I unfortunately am not a doctor, but I play one in real life, I like to say, because that's basically what I do is I, I bring things to the doctor's attention constantly. And uh, that's, that's just maybe the way I'm wired. But um, I do think that it's really important, as Dan said, that the caregiver take time for themselves and uh, that you do things that you enjoy, that you take the time to do something you enjoy and you can set that schedule for yourself, whether it be 10 minutes a day that you go and meditate at a park like Dan was talking about, or whether that's 10 minutes a week, or for myself, and I think Mayor Lou, it's the golf course, and um, we both have a love and affection for the game, and so that sort of whisks you away for the, the, the four hours that you take to go do that event. And uh, it, you have to do things that will refuel your spirit and your energy so that you can be um, that rock that we're looked at. We are that rock once we, as Dan said, once you come through that door, you're ready. Okay, I'm the rock now. But <laughs> that's why we don't really identify with being the rock because once we get on back on the other side of the door, we're we're just like a little sponge. We just shrivel up and go, water, please, you know, um, because we need so to let, be refueled. Let me ask you both uh, one final question. Um, obviously, it's very nuanced when you're dealing with doctors. Some of them may have good bedside manners. Some of them may not. Hopefully, there might be a nurse or a social worker or some kind of navigator who could be that translator, perhaps, and ease the tensions if there happen to be any. But in terms of, like, institutionalization of, of care, yes, a, a consumer product that Instapeer, like, that connects you with, like, the forums, the systems that are out there that we know work in small doses, should there be a caregiver bill of rights? Should there be some kind of standard that unites the rights of people taking care of people that are sick? And how would that, this is very, very extrapolated rhetorical, but how would you see that? making a difference, how could that possibly be something to, obviously there's so much passion, there's so many people out there that are doing this, that are, we've been saying that they're under-recognized, they have no voice for 30 years, for 40 years. Has that changed? I think it has. But what role would the two of you like to play in, in some way changing that? Dan, do you want uh, to go first? <laughs> uh, sure. You know, although I, I, I never really thought of uh, thought of myself as playing a role in making that kind of that uh, yeah, big of a change. Um, I, you know, I, I've told a few different people that, that have asked um, that they basically just have to be their own advocate, um, not only for the person that they're caring for, but but for themselves. You know, and most of the most of the medical staff that we we interacted with 
were perfectly fine, you know, de- working with me, um, as you know, as, as long as I just approached them bef- before it was a before it was at the point where um, we were both really frustrated with one another. Um, I, I, I honestly don't know what a, what a uh, bill of rights w- w- would look like for the caregiver. It, it uh, feels a little bigger than what I, I can wrap my head around right now, to be honest. Well, I I agree with you, Dan, in that that's not something that I've ever really um, pondered. But now that Matthew presents it, I do think that there is um, that that would that is a possibility that should be explored. Um, and I I'm trying to think of the the gentleman's name who was on your caregiver panel last year, Rob. Um, Rob Harris. The Rob. Yeah. Yeah, Rob Harris is um, an amazing caregiver who has sort of paved the road for many of the caregivers um, who attend OMG um, by coming up with his his website and his book and and helping to um, educate us as caregivers. But I do think that because of so many laws that are out there, that are protecting the rights of the patients, which is wonderful and and so very much needed, I think that there has to be a dialogue at least um, started with within the medical community of what the caregiver role should be, and maybe how maybe that's attached to the HIPAA rights in general. I don't know, but um, I do think it's definitely a necessary subject to be to be brought up. I think it's an important subject. And I know that when I was a caregiver for my father, when he was in shock trauma, they were really great to us um, because they're so used to dealing with, with people that are so injured that they often can't speak. And so that's where they were communicating with the family members. And I was able to call every day and get an update. And, but that was inpatient, you know, and things really changed yeah. a lot when it's outpatient. And, um, so it's yeah. definitely a conversation we want to continue having. And one of the things I want to um, just put out there is that um, there are so many different experiences in that, this walk that, that we're in, this journey of battling cancer. Um, every story is so incredibly unique. And what frustrates one caregiver, you know, may be, completely different for another. And so I think what Ali said before and what Dr. Sender has said about um, specific units for maybe um, narrowing down this very large age range, um, which, you know, it's very large, but then again it's really not from 15 to 39. Um, Because if you look at zero to age 20, that's pediatric, and if if those if that age range, what I, I can't do the math here because I'm I don't do numbers well, <laughs> but it's not that many more, right? Yeah. In 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 the realm, and then when you compare that pediatrics is maybe a little over twelve thousand will be diagnosed this year, and then seventy two thousand of AYA cancer, it's a startling contrast and that we as a society 
need to do our due diligence to service the AYA cancer. I think that's a really good point. I have so much respect for the caregivers, um, and I love that so many caregivers come to OMG and that I'm really proud of the fact that we offer sessions. I was talking to a caregiver last year, two years ago, when I was planning for OMG 2013, and um, Chriselle Bernard, and she's actually on our caregiving panel. But she told me she came to OMG 2012 with her husband, and she came to support him. She didn't think that she was going to get anything out of it. She wasn't coming to get anything out of it. But she sat in the Caring for Caregiver session, and it dawned on her that her life was forever changed as a caregiver, as, you know, in her relationship with herself, that she had spent all this time trying to make her husband's life as normal as possible so that he could not have cancer monopolize his life that she forgot to acknowledge that her life was never going to be the same. And I think that we often forget that the caregiver's lives are changed as much, if not more, than a survivor's life when their patient, their loved one, gets diagnosed with cancer. So I just commend both of you for all that you do, not only for your um, loved one, for Ashley and for Liz, but for also for this community, for being a part of ONG, for being on the radio show tonight, you really are giving a voice to the young adult caregivers. Well, thank you so much. It's it's to me, it's an honor um, to you know just be um, in a conversation with you, Allie, and with Matthew and Dan as well. It's it's an honor. Well, we look forward to seeing you next week, Dan. You can beat me at bowling anytime. <laughs> <laughs> well, we I'll can't give wait my best, to be but there. No promises. <laughs> All right, we've been speaking with Dan Crail, caregiver to Liz Harms from Denver, and Jana Martin, caregiver to Ashley Martin uh, from Phoenix and Denver. So thank you both so much for coming on the show, and uh, we look forward to your magic next week, your inspirational magic at the OMG Cancer Summit. Have a great night. Thank you. All right, thanks, guys. Dan and Jana. I can't. There, I, we did a quick Google search, and there is a young adult. There is a caregiver bill of rights, but it's an op-ed piece on caregiver.com, and it might be interesting to explore. I think I'm going to have to read it. Yeah, it's going to be my yeah. bedtime reading. But maybe time. that could be fodder for this. Uh, some of the conferences. I mean, it would be interesting to see how our community would shape that. It would be. I'm. I'm interested to read that. Yeah. Well, there you go. So again, like, like it's so nuanced and it's so challenging. I mean, I had, I had doctors on both sides of the spectrum. I had, my neurosurgeon was a human being. He spoke to my parents. He spoke to me. He understood, even though I was 21, he was pediatric, but he got it that I wasn't 11 or 9 years old or whatever. But the guys at Sloan were just very mechanical and no, no bedside and, and methodical, and, and, and it was very difficult. Um, so I got, I got it from both sides. But my parents were... You know, they were thankfully not Tiger. They kind of gave me my space to make my own decisions. And when you're 21 with six months to live and you decide to do something that they might not agree with, they're like, whatever you want, it's your decision. And I, I don't take that for granted. It was amazing. So I don't, I don't know what it was like for you with your doctors at Hopkins. Well, it was, it was a lot different. I mean, I was 35 when I was diagnosed. I was very independent. I lived by myself. And I did the first two years by myself. I mean, I took myself to all my treatments and most of my appointments by myself. And um, 
my family had a hard time coping. It wasn't until things got really serious and I was told I was going to die that I had them, my parents involved much more in going to my appointments. And um, it was, it was a very difficult role for them because they didn't always agree with the choices I was making either. Um, but they wanted to ask the questions and they wanted to be there to help. Um, Did you specifically not involve them through those first two years because of your independence? It was, it was, we have interesting family dynamics. Um, and so there, Who doesn't? Were, there were several reasons um, why I didn't involve them and, and, or have them there. And I, I think that it's what I needed to do. I really needed to control the situation. And that was one way that I controlled it, which was being in charge. And being in charge meant doing it by myself. Okay. Um, that wasn't necessarily the right decision, and it might. It, I think it was a disservice to my family, right? Um, and wasn't respecting their position and the fact that their life was changed as well. Sure. Um, so it's it's. If I had it to do over, I probably would do it very differently. Right. Well, let's hope you don't have to do it over. <laughs> God willing. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, again, a really great show um, uh, about the conference and caregiving, and, and it just. I'm passionate about this. We're all passionate about this. It is really the underserved of our community, regardless of age. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, now it's time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you got it again. <laughs> That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Okay, folks, that's our show. Broadcast number 304. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. I'd like to thank our guests tonight, Jared Sweat, Dan Crail, and Jana Martin. Next week's show, our final show before... Vegas OMG Summit. Going to kick off and welcome the CEO of Hyundai, Dave Zakowski, along with an epic leadership panel, including our very own Allie Ward, VP Program, Karen DeMero, one of our board members, who's the Director of Patient Access and Education at Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, Dr. Sage Bolte, Social Workers of the Stars at the uh, Life with Cancer in Nova Health, and OMG Steering Committee member Melissa White. Very exciting show. Hyundai in the house. Subscribe to our show anytime for free on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Podcast, and Blog Talk Radio. Check us out anytime on the web at stupidcancer.org and stupidcancershow.org. Remember, folks, if it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Live from the chemo deck on behalf of Andy Goodman, Kenny Kane, Maureen Sweet, Ali Ward, Mallory Rivera, Kenny Kane, again, because he's not here. <laughs> and I hope you're here at the Stupid Cancer Show. Thanks for listening. We'll be back here live next Monday, back to Monday, 8 o'clock. Good night, folks. Good night. For Johnny and Karima, and in memory of Jeff Jesus, and for Lauren, and for Becky, and for David as well. Hey.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.